Welcome to the Sport Manitoba podcast, hosted by Nolan Cole. Welcome to episode 15 of the Sport Manitoba podcast. I'm Nolan Cole, the digital media specialist at Sport Manitoba. We're podcasting from our Sport Manitoba building at 145 Pacific Avenue in downtown Winnipeg. At Sport Manitoba, our focus is on supporting and planning sport programs to promote the development of vibrant citizens, athletes, and communities in Manitoba. We're also the main funding agency for amateur sport in the province with over 65 provincial sport organizations in our building. All of our previous episodes are available on pretty much any podcast app on your phone, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so make sure to check those out and listen to any that interest you. We've covered a lot of topics so far. Speaking of covering a lot of topics, our Peak Performance Speaker Series just wrapped up in February. That's where we bring together experts from a variety of fields to educate athletes, coaches, and parents on all facets of sport performance. Our most recent talk was on student-athlete recruitment, and so we've got a little bit of a different format for this episode with a roundtable panel discussion with four people who are well-versed in the student-athlete recruitment process at colleges and universities across North America. I'll introduce you to that panel after a quick look at some of Sport Manitoba's upcoming events. At Sport Manitoba, we recognize the crucial role that officials have within sport. Keep an eye out for our No Ref, No Game campaign this year, as we'll be sharing real stories from Manitoba officials and what it's like to be behind the call. Remember to always respect your officials, because without them, there is no game. This winter, Sport Manitoba is working together with the Sport Information Resource Centre to raise awareness about concussions. We want all of our athletes and coaches to know the signs and symptoms of a concussion so that they can be properly treated. Follow along on our social media channels at Sport Manitoba on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and use the hashtag HeadstrongCanada. Sport Manitoba strives to make sport a safe and welcoming experience for athletes, coaches, parents, officials and volunteers across the province. If you experience any incidents of abuse, harassment, or any other inappropriate conduct, please call our sports support line at 1-877-737-9875 to talk to a trained professional or visit our website for more resources. Carson Shields has an extensive hockey background. He currently works as a scout and is also the former recruiter for the Nipissing University men's hockey team. Dan Becker's background is in basketball. He's the technical director and high-performance coach for Basketball Manitoba. He played at the NCAA Division I level for the University of Colorado before playing professionally. Haley O'Neill played softball at Simon Fraser University and has coached with Team Manitoba and the national team program. And David Larkins is heavily involved in university athletics as the media relations coordinator for the University of Winnipeg Westman. That is the panel. We discussed the benefits of playing university sport, how athletes can get noticed, schools in Canada versus the United States, and much more. Here's our roundtable conversation on student-athlete recruitment. We'll get uh, started. We'll maybe start with the formal introduction, starting with uh, Carson. Good evening, everyone. My name is Carson Shields. Um, I co-own Wingman Player Consulting. It's an advisory agency based out of Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, my business partner here is tonight. Um, what we do is we plan the NCAA path and the WHL path for hockey players, uh, primarily based out of Manitoba. Again, that does stretch a little bit, and we also represent um, hockey players within the East Coast Hockey League and the AHL and overseas. Um, and I'm happy to be here tonight. Nice to see all of you. Uh, I'm David Larkins from the University of Winnipeg. I handle social media and media relations for all of Westman Athletics. Uh, I started in the journalism game and covered university sports uh, in Ontario and in Manitoba for 20 to 25 years and took over at U of W in the last couple of years. So I handle all, uh, as I said, all of our social media, all of our branding, all of that type of thing. So uh, thanks to Sport Manitoba for having me and, and what I'll be sort of talking about is um, some of the social media aspects and what coaches in our department are looking for. Uh, but then also ways that uh, parents and student athletes and potential student athletes need to know about conducting themselves um, through uh, through social media. So thank you. I'm Dan Becker. I uh, work in this building. Actually, I'm the technical director for Bass Manitoba, but I'm here to speak about recruiting. Uh, myself, I came out of high school here and went through a Division One recruitment. Uh, I transferred to schools. 
and went on to play pro and national team. And then my kids went through the recruitment process as well. I have a daughter right now who's at a Division One school. So I kind of just went through it again 30 years later after I went through it. So things have changed, and I learned a lot again. And so here to speak a bit on that. I'm Haley O'Neill, and uh, I'm here on, I guess, behalf of Softball Canada and Softball Manitoba. Um, I've worked with the national team program for about eight years and specifically with the junior national team program which has a lot of athletes who are just starting um, into their freshman year of school. Um, I also run a, a softball academy here out of Sport Manitoba um, and one of our main goals is um, to get athletes recruited um, to schools predominantly in the US um, because there are only two schools in Canada that actually have softball as a program but there are almost a thousand in the states that have softball so um and i myself uh was a student athlete i played at simon fraser so i did play in one of the canadian schools um but yeah really happy to be here and um i really love this topic so um yeah happy to start okay good stuff so uh we'll start with a question i think all of you will be able to speak on based on your backgrounds and and that is what are the benefits of playing university or college sports if there's certain athletes are on the fence whether or not they want to pursue it what would you say are the the top benefits with all our guys we always say that um you know the the guys that you play with and we don't really have any women so when i say guys that's what i'm what's what i'm relating to um the people that you play with are the people that you know they're going to be the groomsmen at your wedding um you know they're, they're going to be friends for life but the development aspect and the life skills that, that you're going to get um, playing university, whether that be in uh, Canada or in the NCAA, prior to starting Wingman with my business partner, I was director of recruitment for Nipissing University. So it's based out of North Bay. So what my job was, was to take all the players coming out of junior hockey, whether it be the WHL, the OHL, the QMJHL, and they all have some sort of school package and apply that to what they wanted to do. Um, again, there was a lot of success stories um, coming out of U Sports, and I think there's a lot of success stories coming out of the NCAA. What's good for one player necessarily isn't good for everyone. If someone wants to stay at home, be closer to home, be you know around family and friends, you can certainly develop north of the border. Um, again, with that being said, going to the states as well, um, you know, say you know everything's bigger, everything's everything's better. I don't I don't always agree with that. Um, however, at the end of the day. Um, you know, we certainly push our guys. We just had a recent commitment to uh, Division One to Rochester Institute of Technology. So it's a, a player here from Verdon, Manitoba, who's who's going down there, and his goals align with computer programming, align with business, which align with RIT, and they they both um, obviously want him to play hockey too. So um, again, I, wh how I would answer that question is. Um, taking it back to what's good for, for every player, but certainly the development model um, and having those extra four years when it comes to hockey. Um, going into pro at 24 rather than 20, um, you're going to be a different type of person. And um, you know, if you can take a longer path to develop and take advantage of those years and cash in on, on, on the schooling, um, we would tell you to do it 100%. I, I would say that they're some of the best years of your life, you know, whether you go to school for four years or five years, um, it, it's a highlight of your life. Um, for those athletes that play in the in the States, we talk a lot about you're, you're taking a trip, um, you know, usually 10 or so trips every year um, to places you've never been before. So the travel aspect is huge for some of them. Um, the academics too, I mean, I would say the academics are stronger in Canada the, the majority of the time. So if you do ch choose to stay in Canada, um, you're basically getting a discounted education, whether you have a, I, I don't know if we have full scholarships in Canada, but um, partial scholarships um, discount your education, which is fantastic. Um, in the States, if you get a full or partial scholarship, I mean, again, you're getting education um, at a discount, which is a big deal because you need it <laughs> for life. I would say um, there's that thought hit two spots. Like one is a competitor. You just want to keep playing at the highest level. So you want to play university basketball, whether it be in Canada or the States, and you want to go against the best at the biggest stage. That'd be one aspect. The other one would be the free education. So if you want to get a completely free education, then uh, Division One scholarship pays for everything and you get money in your pocket. So one of the questions you had earlier for what changed was when I went to school, we were the poorest kids on campus. We weren't allowed to work. 
Uh, you can only work on holidays. Uh, there's so many restrictions with when they could, when you could feed you, when you could get any type of money. Now my daughter's going to school. She gets six, seven hundred dollars U.S. a month in her pocket. They call it cost of living now. So they could actually fill their gas tank. They can go to movie. They could be a regular kid. Where so it kind of balances out, and they do put a lot of time in. They make a lot of money for the university, so they kind of balance that out a little bit. And they get taken care of very, very well. So it costs me nothing. I have to get her down there, and that's it. Um, that's the only, and that cost of living can go towards that. So if you don't, you can't afford it, they can kind of make that happen. Um, so that was kind of the twofold pieces. One, challenge yourself in the sport you love, hopefully. And the other one would be try and get a free education and use that sport you're good at to enable you to have a better life for whatever you want. So some kids, I was, I transferred, so it gave me five years, but I wasn't very smart. So I said, oh, I got an extra year to get my work done. So I took less classes, went home for the summers when I could have got a master's degree for free. You know, I just took my time and I actually was very bored because I tried to set up my schedule where I had Friday and Mondays off. So I thought I was real slick, but I was bored out of my mind. I should have actually loaded myself up, trained more, took more classes, come out with more education. I just didn't have a lot of guidance with that. I just was a 18, 19, 20 year old kid making decisions. So yeah, so there's twofold to that. I think what I would just add to that very briefly is, um, you know, they've obviously touched on the aspect of the cost of going to school. Obviously, if you go to a Canadian school, um, there will be some people that have this perception that if you come and compete at a Canadian school, that somehow that's a step below than going to an American school. And certainly the University of Manitoba or University of Winnipeg basketball teams probably aren't beating Duke. But the quality of competition in Canada is much higher rated than I think a lot of people give credit to. And then if you have that opportunity to play, then you are taking that scholarship and maybe you're going to a division two school, let's say in the middle of nowhere in Minnesota. And that, and that school's costing you $53,000 a year to get into. So if you have that ability to shoot a puck or shoot a basketball and that's there for you, um, that's a major opportunity that not everybody is granted. We had a, we had a D2 school from Minnesota, came up and played our guys this year. And it, for, that, for that school, one year tuition, $53,000 for a D2. So you're not talking about the University of Minnesota. You're not talking about Michigan State. Um, and certainly not denigrating that experience by any means, but that's just the reality check. So if you do have that opportunity where your son or daughter or you as the son or daughter are able to apply your skills to getting yourself that education, I mean, that's the dollar value right there. And 53K isn't even necessarily the highest of that. That's just a number. So, yeah. The Canada-US debate we had on here as well, let's just jump to that because you guys kind of already touched on it. So. There's so many schools to choose from across the continent. How, what do you see as the differences between Canada and the U.S.? And Carson, we can maybe start with you on this, because obviously hockey, there's endless options for, for aspiring hockey players at the university level. Yeah, I, I would agree for sure. And, you know, to, to speak to your point, what you just said there, um, we had a player come out of, uh, and probably our most our biggest success story, he played for the Winnipeg South Blues played for the U of M Bisons, and then he went to the East Coast, and then he finished with the Moose last year, and he was at the NHL Jets rookie tournament, right? So, again, there's that age-old thing of, um, you know, wherever you're playing, they're going to find you, right? Do I agree with that all the time? No. Um, do I believe that, you know, players need to be put on to a certain extent? Absolutely, it's my job. However, um, the other thing that really reigned true here as well, too, is the Division Two at the 53K. Um, you know, when we sit down with our players, the first thing we ask them is, what do you want to do after hockey? Because the chances are it's not going to work out. So we need a plan here. So again, if you're going to a small school, Division three or Division one school in, in New York, and you're taking your BA in sociology, what does that look like coming back here? What are you going to do with that? Because if you're going to go in the hole and you're going to take out, mom and dad are going to take out a, a student loan or whatever it is, whatever your circumstances are, and you're going to go down there and then you're going to come back here, um, you need to have a plan. So again, for, for us, um, you know, and I'll probably repeat myself 10 times during this entire um, interview is what's good for one player isn't good for the next. 
But I can tell you this, um, you know, what if whether you're going to McGill, whether you're going to U of W, whether you're going to U of M, um, you know, there's certainly players that come out of there with success on both levels, right? On the development aspect and on the school aspect. And you're, you know, how much do you need to see your family? How much do you need to see your friends? You know, the, that not work-life balance, but that sport-life balance is something that's becoming more and more at the forefront here. And, and what's the return on that? Um, but again, you know what? Um, there's some kids that we have that want to get as far away from their parents as possible. Right, and they, you know, they're bound to determine that they're going to be a player, um, and that's it. However, in our experience, and that's why we're in the business that we're in, because my business partner and I both had experiences that were probably less than ideal. And again, in my role at Nipissing prior to doing this, I took guys that were promised the world, and they signed on the dotted line at 16 with WHL, OHL, and they were told, listen. You're going to be a pro no matter what you're going to be a pro now at 20 they're coming back playing u sports first of all a place that they never thought they were going to be second of all they probably their high school marks probably weren't the greatest third of all they have no idea what they want to do so again to answer that question i think it, it, it hits multiple topics and it is case to case however to answer it um if you were to get a 50% ride in the States and you're able to afford that and your parents you know, are supporting you and you're gonna come out with some sort of uh, return on that, great. If you're gonna go to the Asper or you're gonna take engineering or you're gonna and play for the Bisons, hey, you know what? A lot of good players come out of there as well too. I'll just share a quick story from when I was, uh, I went to Brock University in St. Catharines, Ontario. The baseball coach there said, had, had recruited a kid or got a kid back that went to Bowling Green State uh, in Bowling Green, Ohio, uh, D1 baseball school. And the kid went down to Bowling Green. And listen, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing there's not to, to take a shot at anybody's decision. This particular student athlete went down to Bowling Green thinking that that was the, that was the grass being greener. And he returned home and he played baseball for Brock and ended up being... Uh, one of the best in the country at that level. But what the coach had said to me, and I've heard it multiple times since then from other coaches, is that I recruit them, and when they go south, I sit and I wait for them to come home. Because there have been a lot of those players who will go down thinking that that school in the States is the, is the, the be-all and end-all, and that isn't, so going to Carson's point, that isn't always the right fit. So um, the, the Canada versus the U.S., we in Canada j as a nation suffer from this inferiority complex across the board that everything in the States has to be better sometimes and we just don't live up. But that you, I would suggest really examining the, what you're honestly getting there versus what you're honestly getting up here. And I would absolutely agree with Haley's assessment that the Canadian education um, when you think about going to Bowling Green, what will that degree mean in the end? I don't know. It might mean uh, a great deal. But just because that's an American school, what is that degree that you get? What does that actually mean? Because it might not be Harvard, it might not be Yale, Princeton, that sort of thing. If it's an American school, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the, um, the, the, uh, a better fit. Dan, you played in the States, your daughter plays in the States, and you coach here, so what's your take on it? Speaking more just performance-based, uh, um, if you're talking Power Five conferences, so for, I only speak on basketball, but Power Five conferences are the big five conferences, the big football conferences, they have all the money. So the biggest difference is resources. There's like Kirby Shep, coach at U of M, excellent coach, national team coach. He's the only coach, and he has a couple of volunteers. Um, Colorado, where I went, We'll have Kirby Shep and four other Kirby Sheps. Then they'll have three Neils and three Jeffs. And then they'll have uh, physio guys. They'll have massage guys. They'll have tutors. They'll have every type of resource in the world. So there's just a lot more money down there to help you be successful. And then also the talent pool is bigger. So for every freak athlete you get up here, maybe in the CIS program, they got eight of them. Now, it doesn't mean they're better. It doesn't mean they think the game better. They're just more of them. So the resources and the accumulation of talent density i guess in each program 
is higher. So for basketball, sometimes learning to play against that length and athleticism is just hard. It's a new environment. Having that much resource behind you, coaching you, doing all the film, all that stuff just pushes you. That the, the facilities are amazing, stuff like that. But once you get away from the power, and I'm not even saying those. There's, I've heard tons of stories of coaches that have all those resources, and they're brutal coaches. And kids don't really get better. They kind of get used and abused. And you got to learn how to function in that environment and take everything you can out of it. But there are the resources there for you to utilize if you're in a good environment. But there's a lot of great coaching in Canada as well. And there's good situations here, like Dave Smart is recognized as one of the well, people are trying to hire him in the States, left, right, and center. But he won't leave. But he's a one-man show, and he did it in Canada, which is amazing for what he did. So I guess it really depends where you're at on that spectrum and what you want out of it. Some people go down there for the bigness of it. They take one or two years. They go, okay, I experienced it. I did it. And then they make a different decision based on where they're at in their life and what they want to choose. So again, back to Carson's point, it's like every person's an individual and you got to figure out what's best for you. Just understand the landscape. Okay, so just basic level here, approaching universities, aspiring student athletes, their parents, what are the best practices they should follow in terms of reaching out and trying to approach schools that they might be interested in playing at? So my story was I walked into a gym by fluke and a coach saw me and offered me a scholarship. It was that easy. This was in the 80s. I was up here. I was actually getting ready to play Dean Goodbranson over there in the Westman Classic in grade 12. And my dad's from Philadelphia. And uh, he said, you want to come back and visit the family on holiday? I said, sure. Went down. I just need a gym to shoot in. I got to shoot. I got a tournament. So we went there and we went to St. Joe's University, which is in Philadelphia. It was the closest gym to the hotel. Walked in, asked the coach if we can shoot. He said, no problem. Sure, sure. So I said, uh, what school do you go to? Uh, what, high, what university are you going to? I said, I'm in high school. Nowhere. Sent a few players out to play one-on-one, two-and-two. Then at the end of the practice, he said, you want a scholarship? I said, sure. And that's why I transferred, though, because it was just such a last-minute thing. Being in Canada during that age, it was hard to get seen. There wasn't the, the internet and all the video resources, and I took a chance to get a Division One scholarship. It wasn't the right fit, but because I went there and got pulled out of here, out of Winnipeg, I was legitimized as a Division One recruit, and then my second round of recruiting was big. I went to a Power Five conference. Went from a mid-major, where I didn't play my first year, to starting in a Power Five my next year, just because of a lot of circumstances, but that's how that one went. 30 years later, my daughter's coming up, and, and she's... She's come along pretty well, but actually we started before she got noticed. And I said, I kind of went through it a little bit, and I got coaches calling me a lot for my job. And I said, what schools do you want to go to to cut the recruiting um, game? Because every school has their four assistants in their head. And there's a recruiting coordinator, and they only have so many people and so many hours that they can go recruit. So they recruit their area. If they have a lead or a tip, a, a dad who played at that university said, I got a kid, they might follow up on that but they're not gonna spend a lot of time recruiting kids they don't think they can get. Either they're too good for their program um, or they're too far out of their region. They don't think a kid from Alabama is gonna come to Seattle. So I said, pick your schools that you think you'd wanna go to and write a little synopsis, short one. Hi, I'm Nia Becker and I'm this tall and I played here and here's a little clip. We put together a little highlight clip and it's I'm gonna be at these tournaments this summer. Bang, bang, bang. Love to see you, I'm really interested in going to your school and, and for academics and for sports. Really short, and we sent that out to maybe 25 schools, a lot of Pac-12 schools, because you want to go West Coast. And you'd be surprised, got good feedback from that. Um, and she had a bit of a resume, which helped, like he said, cutting through the chase. She was on a age group national team, so right away that they, you know, like you say, coaches get a lot of emails. But if you keep the video short and you keep it not just a kid hitting a free throw or a three-pointer that everyone can hit, but showing some ability where they can read it really quick and say, oh, that kid's got some ability. And you say, this is where you can see me. And then there's a chance they'll, they'll follow up with that. He made their recruiting job a lot easier. He said, you want to go to that school? And if they're interested at all, then why not? When they're at a tournament for basketball, there's these certain periods they can come out and view you, and a lot of coaches are in the same gym. They make their way over to your court, and they'll watch you for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Or they'll call somebody and follow up. So that's how we got started with Naya, and then um, and then she just kept progressing from that, and some other leads came in as she did well in other age group stuff. People noticed her organically, but we started the process by contacting schools first, and I would recommend that. And then because you also want to you want to use your ability for whatever sport you're in to get that free education, so you should choose the education and the life that you want. 
Like, I want to go live in, in Denver. I don't want to go live in the middle of nowhere in Alabama, you know, being from Winnipeg especially. So if you could target the schools you're interested in with the academics, and hopefully that'll work out for you. Sometimes it comes down to, like, my story where I just had one, one good option. I went and took it to see what it was like. And it ended up working out, but it was a dangerous road. But there's a lot of ways to get there, but you could help yourself out a lot with, with being proactive. Having your uh, resume um, in a nice package is a very smart thing. Um, I saw a recruit video where the first clip for basketball, the first clip is a guy hitting a free throw. Video got shut down. That's it. We're done. I don't. The coach doesn't need to see you make a free throw. They know you can make a free throw and put it on a video, right? You could have gone one for 15 that night. We don't need to see you make one free throw. So, yeah, as Dan said, that vid the video, the attention that you put into, into what you uh, clip is important. Show the coach, show the potential school what your actual skill set is. Um, and that goes for any sport. Show a variety of things. Um, certainly be proactive. Nowadays, with all of the uh, video content and social media stuff that we have, you're so much closer uh, to that coach than having to go into a gym in Philadelphia, right? You, you can now be in touch with the coach from St. Joe's today. Um, so you have that accessibility. So that's a really good weapon. We have sites like Huddle and those types of things that will help market your video to potential schools. Um, a simple Google search will find you some of those services that will create those video packages if you want to go to that extreme. But I would say having your uh, resume in a nice tight package is, is a smart way to go and then be visible as well. I don't think you necessarily, I, I knew of a, a kid from Brandon who went and took a quarterback coach at the or quarterback camp at the University of Nebraska. That's great. So that's fine. It was a good experience for him, but he was probably not getting recruited out of there because the type of uh, people that are there as quarterbacks at a D1 camp are maybe a little bit higher than this kid was. But being visible is not a bad thing. So if you want to make that effort, sometimes pay those costs to go to those camps to be seen, those are options as well. But again, I think maybe you guys would have a better perspective on this. I think also that comes with caution as well, that just because there's somebody touting this new opportunity, this camp, this whatever, that you have to be wary of who am I getting involved with as well. So be visible, be opportunistic, and there's nothing wrong with, um, with pumping your own tires, so to speak, getting your video out there and, and uh, making yourself visible that way too. Okay, so I think it's important to consider what your, we talk in, in groups of 10, so we'll say make a list of your 10 dream schools, 10 realistic schools, and 10 absolute gimmies. So when you're reaching out to these schools, um, you also have to think about what um, what you're willing to put into this financially. Um, in our sport, we highly, highly recommend that athletes start attending camps at their their chosen schools, um, but that can be a lot of uh, upfront financial, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, commitment at that point. So um, I think you want to consider, you know, sending emails with videos attached to your absolute gimme schools um, because you're probably going to get some uptake from them if if you're too good for those schools. Kind of thinking, um, you have to know your your caliber. So we talk a lot um, to the athletes about that. Not all of them are Division One. You know, in in our province, in the sport of softball, I mean, we've sent maybe 10 to Division One in the last eight years, you know, so um, which is way more than we've ever done um, because we're getting better at knowing the game. But um, it, that it's super rare, you know, like we have 105 athletes in our academy. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking maybe maybe six to 10 right now have the potential to play division one. So we don't want to sell that to them as like they all need to play division one, right? A lot of them have already pegged themselves as division two. Um, and they're, so they're actively 
researching those schools and going to camps at those schools. When you when you pay the money to go to a camp and you you know you travel down there, um, you want to make sure that you've emailed the coach first. You know something exciting like I'm from Canada, something that sets you apart um, because they. I hear this over and over when our athletes are at camps. Oh, the Canadian. Oh, the Canadian. Right? They, they stand out just because of that, which is wonderful. Um, so, yeah. So I think it's important that they know that you're coming. They know how far you're traveling if you're going. I mean, we, we have athletes who go to camps all the way down in Oklahoma. Some go to Texas. Right? Um, you got to, yeah. It's, it's a lot of effort on the part of their parents and a lot of um, financial commitment up front. But... Um, that for, for our sport pays off way more often than going to showcases or to buying into whatever. There's all these recruitment sites, um, in the sport of softball. And, um, I'm not, a I, it, I, I haven't seen that do really well for our Canadian athletes yet. So we've done really, really well with them attending camps because they get noticed and they get that one-on-one -on -one time with the coach when, uh, they can't otherwise talk on the phone to them yet or email with them based on um, NC2A rules. We'll be right back with the second half of our student athlete recruitment panel discussion. Whether they're coaching youth hockey or training Olympic hopefuls, they're helping athletes grow in their sport and as individuals. On March 21st, join us for brunch to recognize and celebrate the coaches who have made a positive impact on Manitoba's young athletes at the annual Sport Manitoba Coaching Awards presented by the Club Region Casino and Events Centre. Meet Manitoba's finest coaches and connect with our province's proud sport community. Learn more and get your tickets at sportmanitoba.ca slash coachingawards. This past year was a big one for sport in Manitoba. Of course, our Winnipeg Blue Bombers brought home the Grey Cup, but we also grabbed an international curling title, two NCAA national championships, and we've sent athletes to compete all over the world. Join us in celebrating Manitoba's greatest athletes, officials, and volunteers at Sport Manitoba's annual Night of Champions. The event takes place on Saturday, March 21st at the Club Region Event Center. Learn more and get your tickets at sportmanitoba.ca. Sport Manitoba and Doctors Manitoba joined forces in 2013 to launch Fit Kids Healthy Kids. Both partners saw the need to promote physical literacy as a means to combat health risks associated with a sedentary lifestyle such as type 2 diabetes and obesity. Doctors Manitoba has been generously supporting Fit Kids Healthy Kids financially since its inception. Learn more at fitkidshealthykids.ca. Further along in the process, once athletes have been scouted or they've been noticed by a school, are there questions they should be asking? How do they determine if it's the right fit? Our big thing would be um, how long has the coach been there, right? Just because if you're getting recruited at 16 or 17 and the coach is looking to retire in the next two years, new coach is going to come in, you're not his recruit. What does that look like, right? Is there a development plan for an assistant coach to step in? What do these things look like? This business is not based on having easy conversations. Every single day, we have to have extremely hard conversations with parents and with players. And that's what gets it done. So if you think that for a second, you can take everything that's being said from a coach at face value, you are gonna leave this game very, very disappointed. So again, doing your research when it comes to who's gone in the program, call their parents, get your son, in our case, or your daughter, to message the kid on, through text or whatever. Find out what the experience was like. Um, again, the, the, it's, especially in the sports worlds, in, in all of our silos, let's, let's call them, it's really easy to reach out and find, oh, so-and-so went to Alabama Huntsville, perfect, I'm gonna call their dad, right? And again, I think in our experience, 99% of the time, that parent or that player is going to be more than welcome or more than happy to share their experience with you, right? Um, I would be very concerned about things like what are class sizes like? What's the living like? Um, when we talk to our, our pros um, and we talk to our, our junior guys, you're never going to have it all. If you think that you're going to be able to go to a campus that's the nicest um, landscape in the world and you have the best teachers and you have the best development and you have the best facilities, 
we're probably not having this conversation. You're already found. So again, being realistic with yourself is massive. And the lists, Haley, I love. I love the, the, the idea of the lists. Um, because again, what's important to you, what's important to your family, might not be important to the Joneses, might not be important to, to, to us. And a lot of the time in our role as advisors, agents, we almost become counselors. And that's something as a business that we need to move away from. Because the family, when they come to us, they need to know what the goals are as well. They need to know what the plan is. And we're gonna tell you based on our experience, based on our knowledge, where we think the kid's gonna fit, if he's a division three, if he's a division two. My number, and I'll zip it with this, my number one question that I would ask a coach is, where do you see me playing? Because again, you're probably not gonna get the straight goods, but to have that conversation and to be on the same wavelength in terms of what they think of you as a player, what they think your role is gonna be, and where they see you, are all things that factor hugely into your decision. And I think are a lot of the times overlooked. And I'll, I'm just piggybacking all night, so I'll jump on that as well. Uh, just one quick thing added to that is looking at a roster that you're trying to go to. So if it's in the States or it's in Canada and you look and you're a power forward uh, on the basketball team or you're a left side on the volleyball team or you're a left wing on the hockey team and then you see, okay, well, the guy that's in second year right now or a freshman right now at that school is on the junior national team and he's starting. So where am I on the depth chart? Where would I fit on the depth chart? Would be a fair question to ask both of yourself and of the staff that you meet with. Because the thing you don't want to do is think that, well, I'm pretty darn good because I'm coming out of Winnipeg and I was the number one player in my school and, and uh, I think I'm pretty sweet. And then to get there and you find out, oh, this is post-secondary, we're in university now and we got grown men and grown women and maybe I'm not quite as good as I thought I was. And you get that, there's that eye opening. So to be aware and be honest with yourself about, okay, what is already there and then assess based on that as well. Because if you have five schools that are looking at you and one of them is loaded with, uh, loaded of talent at that position and if you're being realistic with yourself and you might not fit in at that position, um, then that might give you some answers as well. So just speaking from going through it with my daughter, maybe, what was it, four years ago, um, so we, we narrowed down the schools from for where she wanted to go to first, right? And then based on a lot of what they talked about, style of play, uh, did they have a good relationship with the coach? So what happens in basketball is they find you young, usually, and then they start texting and try to build a relationship with the kid so the kid really feels comfortable with the coach and likes, likes the program, feels good about going there, selling on all their great things and avoid anything that might be negative. Um, and it, the parents as well. So in the very beginning, it was very flattering. Oh, they like my daughter. They think she's good. And you're all really pumped up about it. And then after a while, it gets a little burdensome. And then after a while, you got to really get focused and say, they have a job to do, and we have a job to do. Their job is to recruit and fill a roster. And they're going after 10, 20, 30 kids a year, 50 kids, depending on your sport, to get the three or four recruits they need. Right? And... So you have to ask some really tough questions, and you got to say, who else are you recruiting right now? Who have you offered? Because there's, there's recruiting, and then there's actual offers. So in basketball, they'll talk to you. They'll show interest. Then they'll make you an offer, which some schools throw out offers like candy. Some don't. So ask them their philosophy on how many people have you offered this year in my class? How many in my position? Where do you see me ranked? Right? And my daughter had one school where the head coach offered her, the assistant came in for a home visit and didn't know the head coach offered her. That's how many offers they had out. So we're kind of like, ah, red flag on that one. And then the school she ended up going to, they had offered only her at her position. And they said, she's our main target. And I said, well, how long is that offer good for until she's not your main target? Because they have a job to do. And he said, till about April. And I was like, one more year. And I said, you got about a year to kind of 
show us some love and really show your interest. Otherwise, we got to recruit other kids. We got to make sure we get a roster. And I said, that's fair. So we started off being like really honest. I said, look, we're going to be totally honest with you because some families are like, well, yeah, I got 10 Division One offers. I don't want to talk about it. They, they, they try and play a, a closed hand to make it a pump up their value. And we said, this is his offer. This is what they're saying. This is where they want to play. Now, who have you offered? And, and, and then we're, so I said, we're going to be very, very honest because I'm in the basketball world. I said, I'm in the basketball world. I know a lot of people and I talk to people. So eventually we're going to find out if you're lying or not because we had some, a lot of schools were recruiting a couple of our friends who had talked to their parents. So we were kind of going around circling and found out which ones were telling the truth, which ones weren't. And that was interesting on its own. But so we just kind of narrowed it down to that. And then when it came to the home visits, we just had really, really direct, honest questions. Like you said, where do you see my daughter playing? What do you think she's good at? And I took care of most of the questions. My daughter's pretty shy and I didn't want her to be too nice. Like we were kind of almost interrogating in a nice way because we preface it by saying we're going to be really honest. We got a job to do to protect our daughter and try and get as much information out as you. Hoping you respect that. They, were good. they actually liked it a lot. They said most parents and families try and play you a little bit and they didn't like it. So we were very direct and got all the answers and then one really emerged out of all of them that seemed very honest, very direct. From when I talked to other people, the information uh, was, was corroborated. It was backed up and some others weren't. So we started to work our way through that. So I'd say, like I said, ask, ask the tough questions. Where do you, how is my development going to be here? Because right, a lot of kids go there and think, you know, they always say, uh, no, you're not guaranteed a starting spot, but you have a chance to start, you know, and every coach will say that. You wouldn't want to go to a place that's going to guarantee you a starting spot. Either. That's a little bit of a red flag unless you're a phenom. Um, but most times a freshman isn't going to play as much. There's kids who have been there three, four years already put in time they're pretty talented as well so you got to say honestly that what's the development you think it's going to look like how's it going to go where they're going to play what position in the end how do you see them you know what do you think they're what they're going to be what they're going to look like after four years with you because we're also going for development we're trying to get better over four years not just exposure or going to the next level or just sign and get your education and not not enjoy the process school life who the staff is very important about that the turnover rate of the coach Right, he, that was mentioned earlier. Um, how long, are they stable in their job? Are they almost too good at their job where they might get leapfrogged to go to a bigger school? So you might sign, but then she's an amazing coach and she's going off to the University of Texas who has more money than anybody than for her dream job and you just got recruited to that school. Or the other way around, they're kind of on the down and out and they might get fired and then you got to transfer or maybe you get lucky and you like the new coach. But those are things you want to ask and maybe even ask, how long is your contract good for? Like, is it five years? Do you just sign an extension? It doesn't mean a ton, depending on what sport you're in, because they could buy you out. If it's a big enough school, they won't care. They'll, they always give contracts out three, four, five years so the coaches can recruit, because a recruit will ask that. Oh, I mean, I'm good for five years. Okay, that's my college career. But really, they'll fire you the next year and just pay you out four years or they have a buyout clause. So you have to ask those contract questions. Uh, like everything, you got to cover it all. You got to be really direct at them, and just let them know you're you're trying to make a really good decision for your family. And uh, they shouldn't take offense at that. They do take offense at that. That's another red flag. I think it's important if you're a certain position um, to look at the coach that's coaching that position. So in softball, it's common to have pitching coaches on staff um, so even though the head coach might be the one who's doing all the negotiating with you you need to get to know who the pitching coach is to see if you have any chemistry with them at all or and, and to check their knowledge as well um, I assume it's probably the same for goalie coaches etc um, I would say a red flag is if you have um, a husband and wife on coaching staffs that seems to be far too common in the states <laughs> I don't know why but there'll be one as the head coach one as an assistant or video or something and it, it does tend to get a little messy at times so that's a bit of a red flag um, I would ask about um, team GPA what, how important academics are to that coach um, you know how much time away you know away from class um, there's particular team misses and how they address that team tutors, um, study hall, et cetera. Um, and I just wanted to um, address one little thing with the last question when it talks about recruitment. Um, if you're looking at a division one school, you should be likely emailing the assistant coach 
um, the head coaches, it, it tends to be a thing where everyone emails the head coaches. Um, at Division One schools, the head coaches rarely do the recruiting, and it's really easy for your emails to get lost with them. But the assistant coaches are very on it. Um, and I would suggest even your top Division Two schools, you probably should be emailing the assistant coaches. If it's a JUCO or a Division Three, by all means, go straight to the head coach. But um, just, yeah, an important note on that. Dave, I wanted to ask you specifically about social media because I know you do a lot of work with that and the importance for athletes to make sure that it's kept clean. Yeah, and, and I think we're getting, as society, we're getting more and more aware of some of the pratfalls of what goes on on social media and how that can hurt you. Um, 100% there are stories of uh, A-level kids being recruited to A-level schools who had those scholarships pulled when they did something stupid on social media. Um, but what is good is that your kids are now more and more aware of those things, but that needs to constantly be um, uh, asserted to them, that what you're doing on social media will absolutely impact what the decision of the potential school is afterwards. So now, and what we have at U of W, and we're not different than any school, we'll have a, in September, when all the student athletes are on campus, we'll have them all in a room like this, and I'll talk to them about what we need to do, both strategically in our social media approach for promoting our stuff, but also, okay, how are you, I don't want to use the word behaving, but what are you doing on your social media accounts? And one of the things that's been new in the last couple of years, and um, young kids aren't always on Twitter. That's not the number one social media platform. But one of the things with Twitter is that the algorithms have changed over the, um, over the last couple of years. So that now, if I don't follow somebody uh, on Twitter, but somebody that I do follow likes a tweet of something, that might show up in my feed, okay? And I can tell you that I have seen things that athletes have liked because you think whatever it is, you just want to look at it later, read it again later, whether it's an offensive language, an offensive video, that shows up in other people's feeds. And I stress this to our athletes all the time. Be super conscious of what you're liking and what you're following. Now. If you're a phenom and you've got multiple opportunities all over North America, that might not come back and bite you, um, but it could. And if you're uh, a student athlete in Canada, um, that's certainly not gonna look, at the very least, it's not gonna look good on you. And we always talk about our brand and our logo, and if you're carrying that logo out in public, then you need to conduct yourself in a certain manner. It's no different than on social media. So you're, you are applying the same ideas that if you wouldn't go out and act like a jackass in public, so let's not do it out here on, on our smartphones and our computers. So that's sort of the downfall thing that we need to always be cognizant of. And even kids at 21, 22, 23 who are, should be super adept at this stuff aren't. And it blows my mind sometimes when I find a kid who's been on social media for the last eight, nine years or whatever, you, you are of the age that you should be super smart and know exactly because you've been, you're grown up in this. And then they go and put something like a photo up that is absolutely moronic and then that hurts you. And if you're just, a, and listen, if, if a coach, if you're grade 12 and you got a coach that's really interested in you and you're maybe just a player, you might say goodbye to that opportunity because there's some coaches that are not, they can go recruit you somewhere else. They can find you somewhere else. Um, so those are just things that kind of eat away uh, at me when I think you've got to be smart. Just very quickly on another topic related to social media, now kids and athletes are getting branded more. We saw in the last couple, or last recruiting cycle for football, University of Oklahoma for sure, are now creating logos for their recruits. So Tom Smith has committed to the University of Oklahoma to play football there, and now he has his own logo, and now he's a brand. 
and that's happening in basketball and, and that's now what some schools are throwing out to students to say as another little you know piece of cheese to lure you in the 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 changing landscape of social media is every month something is changing twitter changes its algorithms instagram changes its algorithms how things are seen where they're seen those types of things and then how schools are utilizing that vast area of the internet to start branding their students is a major change that we've never seen before and you know depending on what level you go listen you come to the university of winnipeg you're gonna get treated very well i might not create a logo for you but we're happy to have you come play for us um, but that's just one of the things at the really elite levels where we're seeing and that's you know that's the first step so then you know where does it go from there well now that starts to trickle down because people at uh, Oklahoma Tech you know see what University of Oklahoma is doing and they start to try to do that and so that ball starts rolling so long story short um, the landscape is constantly changing and I would for parents I would be you know it's a Parrington decision how you want to handle how your kids handle social media but be cognizant of that and for the students I mean, I'll say it to our 24-year-old seniors in their last year, please be smart with what you're doing. Um, there was one story quickly in University of Alberta, the women's basketball team, I think 10 years ago when people didn't realize that, hey, on Facebook, everything's visible before all this pri privacy settings and everything. You could j just, everything on the internet stays on the internet forever, okay? At forever. And the University of Alberta women's basketball team went out to I think BC on a road trip and posted um, extremely revealing photos on their Facebook page. And then they're a national story and they're an embarrassment to the University of Alberta because now University of Alberta has to do damage control. So a dumb mistake, but that's the repercussions of it. And that's not a commentary on those people. They just thought, oh, this is nothing and then now CBC National is coming to Edmonton to do a story about it. So everybody should be smart and cognizant of that. Thanks again to Carson, Dan, Haley, and David for all of that terrific advice for young athletes hoping to get to the next level. And thanks to everyone who attended our P-Series events this past fall and winter. If you enjoyed this episode of the Sport Manitoba podcast, you can subscribe to our podcast. It's available anywhere you get your podcasts, including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Sport Manitoba on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you know of somebody who you think would make for a good guest on our podcast, whether it's an athlete, coach, or somebody else involved in sport, you can email me at podcast at sportmanitoba.ca. Watch for our next episode in March. Until then, I'm Nolan Cole. Thanks for listening to the Sport Manitoba podcast.